Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. and he loops it in the air out to left field. Verdugo races back. He makes the catch. Bo's coming down the line. He's steaming towards the plate, and he wins it! The Blue Jays walk it off on a sacrifice fly from Rymel Tapia. 6-5 winning edition of Blue Jays baseball. In the 10th inning, the Blue Jays got him loaded up, and Tapia gets him in. Yeah, suck on that, Boston. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like I said last night on Blue Jays talk, Kevin. Yeah, walk-offs are great. They they are. They they are it, it's 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 they're magic. But they're especially magic when it's done to the Red Sox. They really are. There's nothing like there's nothing like Red Sox angst. It's better than Yankees angst. Better than Yankees angst. There's no such thing as Rays angst. It's better than Yankees angst. You think so? You, you, you'd rather oh, be, oh you'd, God, yeah. you'd rather have walk offs against the Red Sox than the Yankees. I, I think that for I me, get tingles. I get tingles when I see sad Red Sox players and sad Red Sox fans. It's like I think an angel gets its wings every time something bad <laughs> happens to the Red Sox. Seriously. I've always yeah, felt baby. that. Look, I've been consistent. I've always, I've told you, I've always felt that way. Hate that team. Hate that city. Don't hate the players. Hey. Not all the time, but I mean, with the, I just don't like it. Don't like them at all. Nothing to do with them. Don't want anything to do with them. Love when they lose. Every sport doesn't matter. Love when they lose. The Lo- sun shines brighter when the Red Sox lose. It does. I, I, I just love it that the Red, that the Blue Jays can actually match up uh, talent wise with the Red Sox, with the Yankees, with the Rays. They got a little bit for all three of those teams, and that's what you have to have in the American League East. You, you got to have guys that can grind. You got to play good defense. Got to have really good starting pitching. You got to have a closer, which is exactly what the Blue Jays have. They got a little bit for all three of those teams. Now I'm looking back at the day that. The Blue Jays acquired Rymel Tapia, and I, again, I'm gonna. I know, I know the mayor of Back Lake City won't do this himself, so I'm gonna do it for him. The first person to say publicly that the Jays had an interest in Rymel Tapia was Barker, and I know his sources, and his sources were immaculate. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give Barker a shout out for that. Never tired. Barker's an insider. He, I mean, he needs to get in Twitter and get a blue check mark, and then have people. You know that you know you're an insider when people uh, run fake accounts in your name. That that's what we need. Anyhow, all that aside, I said at the time when they got Rymel Tapia, and you look at Rymel Tapia's numbers. I know a lot of people are going, yeah, okay, kind of screams maybe fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder. I said early on that I thought. Rymel Tapia was going to win more games for the Blue Jays than Randall Grichuk would have won for the Blue Jays. Now, impossible, impossible to prove that I'm right or wrong there. I I get that. But my argument at the time was Randall Grichuk 
gave me a lot of what I already had, only he wasn't as good as the stuff that I already had. It was like overkill. Rymel Tapia, never mind the left-handed bat, gave me unbelievable speed, game-changing speed. But Kevin, he also gave you contact. And what we saw last night in that at-bat, like you're the perfect guy to ask. You were a left-handed hitter. Rymel Tapia is the left-handed hitter. He's facing a lefty on the mound who's got crossfire action. And there was one shot in TV, a camera shot behind home plate. I don't know, I don't know how a left-handed hitter stares out at a guy like that and puts bat on ball. I because I just I just I just don't know how you have any clue where it's going. So I want you to walk me through that at bat, through that sacrifice fly. It was nine pitches, a variety of pitches to Rymel Tapia. He did what he had to do. And he battled to get there. So tell me about what that took for a left-handed hitter to put that type of bat on at bat on against a left-handed pitcher. Well, when you're face when you're facing a lefty who stands on the first base side as, as dramatically as that guy was doing, and he has a little turn when he lifts his leg, which that adds deception to his ball, and he throws sort of three-quarter arm angle, which would be to a left-handed hitter completely behind you, and then it's 96 miles an hour. It's not like he's flipping it up there at 88. It's 96. He's he's slinging it from 96 over there, and then he's got that big sweeping breaking ball that will go down and away from a lefty. And then yeah, on top of it. Uh, Ramel Tapia stands with an open stance. He starts that way. He's really far off the plate, if you've noticed. He's not crowding the plate. He's not turning and burning. To, to be able to do what he did last night, you got to have tremendous plate coverage. you got to have an idea with your barrel. I talk about this all the time. Your eyes have to tell your barrel where it, where it needs to go. And he does have a, enough of a level swing that allows him to – manipulate the barrel enough that pitch was down and away it was off the plate and as far away off the plate as he stands to be able to play, have enough plate coverage with two strikes to be able to flip it as far as he did to left field it's it's one of those bats it could be one of those that just gives you enough momentum as a team that that never die mentality and to have guys go up and, and have the at bats that he had, especially after Chapman took strike three right down the middle. It, that, that for me was one of those, the bases loaded less than two outs that you walk up and you're going, man, how can you take a, a fastball? I was watching the game with you. You were, you're, I, I wish we had a, I wish we had a Barker camera because your reaction when Matt Chapman took that pitch was priceless. Like, if we it, ever wonder, it was, if we ever wonder if they guess, well, you can wonder no longer. They do guess, even with two strikes with the bases loaded in the 10th inning. For me, the top of your thing, too, when you're facing a lefty like that, a lot of the times, especially when you start with an open stance, is you close yourself off. And with a guy that throws that much crossfire that's left-handed, you lose sight of the baseball. And you really have to think about you know, drastically moving your chin instead of just easily laying it on your on your right shoulder. You have to dramatically really move it to make sure that both your eyes are picking up the baseball. And I can't say enough about that at bat. I, you know, I know it was just a sack fly, but to, to get to two strikes and have the plate coverage and foul off the balls that he fouled off, it's one of those at bats that, you, you know, you wonder when the, the rosters go to 26 guys and, and they're really figuring out, do you take a third catcher, which for me is an absolute 
travesty. I don't, I don't, it's just not even a thought. Third, three catchers. This is how you're trying to make up your line. Your your roster is with guys exactly like that who are going to give you a battle, who aren't going to give in, who even if they're facing that one guy that could probably get them out most of the time can still have a competitive bat and help you win a game. It's he's a he's a just with that part of it. The speed, the first to thirds, the first to homes, having at bats like that with runners on third base with less than two outs, that's how you win the American League East. Surprises. Continue to have at bats like that, that's that's how you take it to the whole ne- the whole different level. It is uh Blair and Barker on Sportsnet five ninety the fan and wherever you get your favorite podcast. We will be back on TV on three sixty on Monday, the Jays beat the Red Sox 6-5 last night in 10 innings. Rymel Tapia's walk-off sacrifice fly scoring Bo Bichette. The Jays are 12-6. and They've won 6 of 7. And the third game of that series goes tonight, 7-07 at the Rogers Center. A reminder that tomorrow is an afternoon game. So, uh, skip work. Go down to the ballpark. You may, 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 may get a chance to see, maybe, may get a chance to see the uh, Jays sweep the Red Sox. I said maybe, not guaranteeing anything. Lots to talk about out of last night's game, and uh, we will continue to do that, obviously. We will be joined by Ryan Dempster and Ricky Romero and Bill Ripken. Bill joins us at uh, 10.30. We've got two ticket giveaways today because we had some technical issues yesterday. And and again, I want to thank, first of all, I want to thank those of you who stayed with us through the technical issues yesterday. And a big shout-out, I meant to do this yesterday, didn't have time, big shout-out to Lance Kennedy and Mark Boffo and Neil Oosten and all the people back at the mothership who who, kind of, kind of made it work eventually i really do appreciate that i know barker appreciates it as well so um i don't know where to start with that game we talked about the walk-off the inning itself Bo Bichette on as the ghost runner vladdy intentionally walked i had no problem with that uh alejandro kirk working a walk which again just all, all the the contributions you're getting from from people up and down this lineup, Kevin. It's really something. If this season ends up the way we think it's going to end up, or the way we hope it ends up, I think we're going to look back at this period without Teoscar Hernandez and come to the conclusion that um, a a lot of guys really, really stepped up, uh, really stepped up in Teoscar's absence. And if guys like Toppy and Espinal can keep it going when they come back, this, this team is, this team is going to do some business, but I want to, I, we've touched on Tapia's at bat. I want to talk about Kevin Gossman. 30, he's now at four starts. First pitcher in Jays history with no walks. His first four starts. 31 strikeouts. No walks. Again, last night. Uh, seemed to have... Or let me flip this. The Red Sox really didn't seem to have an answer for what he was, what he was throwing to them. Um, and I know Dennis Eckersley on the Red Sox telecast was talking about uh, Kevin Gossman's splitter. I think he called it nastiness from hell, <laughs> you know, which is pretty good. Pretty good description of the splitter. He's good, Kevin. Like he's better. He's better than I thought he'd be. I was happy when they got him, and you know, I looked at all the numbers and I saw a couple of his games at the Giants last year. This is great. This is great addition. I, you know, it's good. He, 
I think he could be a very good number two guy behind Barrios, and he's going to be a stabilizer, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, he, he's really good, Kevin. Like, that pitch is unhittable. It is. Well, you, you know how good a, a pitcher's pitch is when the hitters are going up looking for it, who are really good hitters and still can't do anything with it. <clears throat> they're either out in front of it, uh, they're late on it, they chase it, which is a lot. He threw, uh, he had 19 swing and misses. He had 11 of those outside the strike zone, which that will tell you. The Red Sox are struggling offensively, but they still got a good team. They still got a good offensive team, and you got to set that up. Uh, he didn't have his slider last night, which makes what he did last night even that more impressive. That's probably why they took him out a little earlier. I, I'm sure if he'd have had his slider, they might have let him go a little bit deeper mm-hmm. than he did. I think that was one of the tall tale signs. First inning, he was over. He was overthrowing it. That slider is good when it's 83, 84, not 86, 87. You can tell he's choking it off. He was spinning off of it a little too quick. He's got to drive the front shoulder, his left shoulder, towards the target, and it's got to finish towards the target. He can't be spinning off like Alec Manoa does. But just because he needs, because mostly it's two pitches, he needs to tunneling the same thing over and over and over again, not to give it away. Makes it a little harder for a hitter to pick all those things up. The the no walk thing for me, because of the pitch, it's odd. It's a grip it and rip it pitch. He's not aiming that thing. He's aiming Mm -hmm. big with it. And for him to be able to keep it in the strike zone long enough and get all the swing and misses and not walk anybody, it's it's a good example of that. He faced 22 batters. He threw 16 strike ones. He threw 10 with the four-seamer. He threw three with the slider. He threw one with the split finger. He threw two with the changeup. The reason why I want to tell folks that is if I'm hitting off of him and I don't want to get to the split finger, that's my whole goal is when I walk to the plate, I don't want to get to it. I can't hit it. Nobody else in front of me can hit it. Why would I go up and try and hit it? So I'm trying to attack early. I want to get him in the strike zone, and I want to try and put my best short, compact, quick swing as I can early. And for him to be able to use four pitches early in counts, all of a sudden I'm stepping out as a hitter going, oh, what now what do I do? It's 0-1 instead of 1-0. I can't take an educated guess on when I'm going to get the split finger or when I'm not going to get it, and now I'm late. Now I, I chase now I don't have a, as good of a, 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 of a quality at bat as I want to have. And, and the total package of what he does with, with the little uh, repetitive wind-up thing, that abbreviated thing, looks like a stretch, it's quick. Most guys that do it that quick, especially when you raise your leg, normally don't land in the same spot all the time. It's, it's very hard to repeat that over and over and over again. It's like hitting. You know, you want things to be methodical. You want it to be slow. I want to gather it and, and really sit in it so I can feel my lower half. That way I can attack, and everything's going to follow the way it's going to go. If I'm in a hurry, everything's playing catch-up. Pitching's no different. And just it's, it's, it's impressive the way he can repeat that and land in the same spot and make everything look the same and, and that split finger. I can say it honestly. I watch a lot of baseball. That's the best pitch in baseball. You could you could walk up and tell dudes it's coming. He's going to throw this thing to you three times in a row. I'll bet you two of the three they're either going to swing and miss at it or they're not going to hit it hard. And and that will just tell you by that right there the way these guys have to guess now and and take educated guesses that it's it's right now second to none. Quite frankly, George Springer had a big at bat as well. You might say the uh, game tying home run. Well, he really does have a sense of the moment, doesn't he? He really does. Like you, you know what? When they put together the sizzle, the sizzle reel for the 2022 Jays season, whenever it ends, 
George Springer's going to be all over it, diving for balls or, or hitting home runs. I, I, I watch what the Jays are doing with him right now, Kevin, and I have to tell you, you know, last year, obviously the absence of George Springer last year had had an impact. It's huge. It well, you look at it. But you, now, you look at Kevin, his... now, now I'm wondering. I, I, I am honest to God wondering what that team would have been like last year with a healthy George Springer. Like, this team missed the playoffs by one game last year. One game. And I watch what George Springer does. I watch what he brings. And I just... It, it, it makes me wonder what if. It makes me wonder what if. I think Springer couldn't pitch. That was the issues for me, at least for about a two-week span. The, the guy running out of the bullpen wasn't Fair. very good. That, for me, now, nah, we, we can't base that off anything. But big picture, you have to think if you don't have some key guys and key spots coming out of that bullpen when it matters the most, no matter what part of the season it is, it's going to be hard to make up for that. So that, for me, is the reason why they didn't make the playoffs. It had nothing to do with George Springer, but I'm with you. <clears throat> his, he had his 200th home run last night of, of his career. He's got four home runs this year. All four of them have either tied the game or given the Jays the lead. Further mm. to your point about what he does offensively, uh, I look at when, whenever I look at good hitter, first thing I look at is what you do against the fastball. He's slugging six nineteen this year against the fastball. Three of the four mm. home runs are off the fastball. You can say what you want about the guessing. You can say what you want that occasionally if you hit in the middle of the order and leading off for George Springer on this team is the meat of the order. It's the middle of the order almost just by what he does That's and what right. he brings. Occasionally, you've got to go up and sit on an off-speed pitch. But nine times out of ten, at least for me, you got to be hunting velocity and a fastball, and for him to be able to do it in a 2-1 count, get the fastball down the middle, not let the moment be too big, that's what it's all about, is how do you slow the heartbeat down enough that you don't overswing? You look at Bo. Bo's overswinging right now. He's chasing too much. He's trying to do too much. The, not saying that has anything to do with the moment, but you look at the way George Springer looks in the big moment, you look at Bo right now, it just it sort of tells you how special, special George Springer is and why they backed the truck up to get him here for moments exactly like that, for right guy, right spot, coming up, tough lefty on the mound, you know, that weird thing, throws it a bazillion miles an hour, he gets in a good fastball count when he gets it because he has a repeatable swing. It's not a whole lot to it. He lifts the leg straight up and down. He sits it down basically in the same spot. He controls his his stride, which is a big deal. Uh, occasionally he'll he'll expand early in the game, but when the, when the game's on the line, you can almost count on him having a quality at bat. And for him to actually come up, be honest, when he came to the plate with a runner on base, did you think he's going to hit a homer? I know it was in my mind that it was in my mind, he's absolutely. hitting one right here. Right man, Especially right facing time. a lefty. Oh, cometh the hour, cometh the man, uh, with, without question. Uh, it's, uh, the thought was in my the thought. Well, we, again, we were watching the game, and we were FaceTiming back and forth. And, yeah, I was absolutely in play. Without question, I will say this maybe more than any other, even maybe more than even Vladdy coming up. Just in that situation, I was thinking, okay, there's a real chance here. There's a real chance here that George Springer uh, is going to hit this out. Let's talk about how we needed extra innings. I mean, the game pretty much, in terms of pitching, was scripted perfectly for the Jays. You wanted to get Jimmy Garcia into the game to get to Jordan Romano. Jimmy Garcia didn't have much last night. What they got? They got four runs off him. 
uh, in the eighth inning. The Red Sox got four runs off him in the eighth inning. Hey, that happens. That 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 is going to happen over the course of the year. He's been pretty much bulletproof this year. Do you see anything at all that caused you concern with Jimmy Garcia last night? Or did you just say, okay, that you know that's that's one down and however many more appearances to go? It's not a concern, but just just say the Trevor story about when he hit the double and drove in the run. That that I think was his biggest at bat. And just coming into that, know what you know. Uh, Trevor Story facing Garcia two for four with a homer in his career. I, if we know that, Trevor Story knows that. I'm sure Jimmy Garcia knows that. If you watch the game for Jimmy Garcia sitting in the bullpen, you were watching Gosman get through Trevor Story with basically four-seamer slider. Now, mm-hmm. he sprinkled the splitty, but it was right. basically four-seam slider. If I'm Jimmy Garcia and I'm thinking to myself, man, if I ever get in that eighth inning and i got to face Trevor Story, I get what he's done to me. But I've been watching the game, and I'm seeing slider starts as a strike, ends up as a ball. It's got some velocity to it. The elevated fastball at 94, 95, 96, I got that. It's got some velocity to it. Let's not slow him down, give him a chance to have mechanics enough that he can get the barrel out in front. What's he do? He throws him one, two, three, four, five. Threw him five pitches. He threw him four breaking balls. Now, why I know that, I had to go back and look because I'm thinking to myself, it does, his breaking ball does have slider break. It's not 12 to 6. It's more of that 1 to 8 range. And right. his slider is exactly the same way, except it's 7 or 8 miles an hour harder. That's the thing for me is why, why would you throw in the breaking ball? If you're paying attention in the bullpen, I know what he's done to you in the past, but know how they've got him out earlier in the game. He's having a little bit of trouble catching up to a little bit of velocity. You can tell he's cheating to catch up to velocity. That's why Gosman was throwing him some, some decent sliders. Weren't great sliders. Didn't have his best slider. But if I'm Jimmy Garcia and Heineman, I have no idea why you throw in breaking balls. Now again, it's it's very hard for me to come on here and say and and pick you know pick at him a little bit because he has gotten off to a good start. But situation would say, by watching the game, throwing four seamers, you throw hard enough. It's ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. You can run it up there. You can elevate it a little bit. Doesn't have to be perfect. Gosman missed on the plate to Trevor Story. Got him out. Right. But. Your secondary pitch for me has to be that little bit of breaker and harder. And for him to throw in breaking balls like he did, just sped up his bat and gave him a chance. That, for me, was a little confusing, a little head-scratching. Jordan Romano came out of the bullpen and, uh, I, I mean, sat down Hernandez with was it 98-99-98, um, just throwing cheese. And that was his first outing since giving up that uh, the the home run to Jeremy Pena, and he looked like I mean, Jordan Romano looked like a guy who pitched. I mean, that that's I, I wouldn't say he pitched with the memory of that that uh, home run in his head, but he he wanted to go out and really show something last night. He show, show velocity. He was he was he was a Man. little different on the mound. He was a little different on the mound last night. He did get he did get some luck by the Alexander Bogarts line drive right back at him. Thank goodness hit him in the thigh and, and you know yep. knocked it down. It was right in front of him. He collected himself, made a decent throw to first base, which is exactly what you're taught to do. Don't get in a hurry. Check the runner at third base, look him back, then throw the ball to first base. It's baseball 101. I, I'm with you. The velocity. That's the first time I've actually seen. I'm I'm done. Like here it is. See if you can hit it. Good hitter. Not gonna mess around. Not gonna flip it to you. I'm gonna give you my best heater. A little elevated. I don't. I think you're, you know, right now this part of the season can't c- catch up to it. And I'm gonna throw it until you show me you can. And 
you mentioned the little thing about he had a, a bad outing the, the time before, and then he comes back and it looks. It like It wasn't this. really a bad. I, it wasn't a bad outing. I mean, yeah, they walked it off, but it wasn't like it was the worst pitch on the planet to Pena, was it? He he fell behind two and zero to a number okay. eight hole hitter. Yeah, you walk up to him. He I'm saying he probably thinking that's the worst outing he's he's had all year because he okay. well he's been on our show and he said the one thing I'm working on in the off season is to throw strikes. I want to fill up the strikes on. I'm not going to nibble. I'm not a nibble guy. I'm not an outside, out, outer third or black guy. No, no. I want the catcher to set up big part of the plate movement. I can elevate it. Crossfire action. You know, I'm mad at somebody. Those kind of things. It's this is what we're starting to see him evolve into, which is if you're in the league and he can stay healthy, that's a scary thought. To be able to forget that as quickly as he did and face the big part of the order against the Red Sox in the 10th inning with a runner on second base and get out of it after George Springer went back leg city, that's big-time stuff. Like, this is – since I've been doing this job with you, it's, it's rare that we've seen the Blue Jays win games like this. It's just – and they're consistently doing it. And I'm not real sure what that tells us. Is is that a is that a great thing? Is that is that where they've evolved into when somebody's out, role players step in and will do absolutely anything to help your team win. On top of it, you have great starting pitching. That might for me might be the big difference. Is the great starting pitching now you have your closer, now you have role players will do absolutely anything. We've seen it. Zimmer, Button, uh Espinal will he changed his lower half yesterday. Normally has the leg kick. Yesterday because of Pafetta's big giant breaking ball, I do a knee turn. I, I can that just because I want to give myself a chance to play pepper with the baseball. That is just uh, – I don't want to overstate that that's – next level big, stuff is what oh, it is. Oh, it's big league stuff. You're in the big leagues. And be able to, to be able to make adjustments like that is it, – it, first of all, it says everything about your hitting coach, about your coaches, about the preparation before the game actually starts, about let's respect the breaking ball, but we want to get all over the heater. Like that's – it's look it's it's that that's exactly i think what all the coaches that i were talking to in spring training when i was down there going this team's next level because of the little things and you heard uh, you heard george springer say that to a rash the other day when they were sitting in the dugout on blue jay central about now they're starting to refine and fix and correct Mm -hmm. and and so you know you know just hone in on the little things and the little things i've talked about is even tags at second base from the from the outfielder going first to third on a ball that's hit to a little bit to the center fielder's right because you had a better jump at first base it's just little things that you know the coaches are preaching it and now the players are actually going out and doing it's uh, it's awesome to watch it really is yeah it 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 really has been and even you know even the 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 base running decisions last night uh, by Santiago Espinal and some of the you know the balls that were hit and all that. I mean, they're just it's a team that really they're really playing with their heads up right now. There is the odd every now and then Lourdes will throw to the wrong base or make the wrong you know make an ill-advised throw. But Kevin, further to your point about the winning the way they're winning, they're winning a lot of one-run games. And what have we been talking about since the season started? Offense is down. It would stand to reason that if offense is down, you are going to see more lower-scoring games. Hence, you are going to see more one-run games. And what wins one-run games? To me, obviously, timely hitting helps. But to me, it's defense and pitching. And your point about the starting rotation, they have three guys now who are – I'm disappointed if I don't get six innings out of them. <laughs> 
That has a trickle-down impact on the bullpen. You know it does. Guys in the bullpen have a better... I mean, I remember when the Jays had Latroy Hawkins here in the bullpen, and one of the things he talked about in 2015, the importance of having consistent starting pitching is, he said, we always talk about guys knowing their roles in the bullpen. It helps you to know your role in the bullpen if you have an idea that on that day, the bullpen ain't going to be used in the third or fourth inning. Mm -hmm. It just does. I mean, it sounds really simple, but it is a fact. Guys who know their roles, guys who know their roles find it easier to get through the day-to-day drudgery of the game if they know that the starting pitcher is going to give them six. Because you know that in this night, I'm probably not going to pitch. Or in this night, I'm going to pitch in this situation. That just makes it easier for everybody. And again, this winning these one-run games given the way baseball is being played right now to me, is, uh, yeah, the record's great. 12-6 and six is great. 6-7 is great. But I'm more interested in how they're winning. I, I'm more interested in how they're beating good teams, how they're beating teams that, that we all expected would be in the playoff picture with them. That, 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 that's the thing to me. Uh, we're going to talk about Bo Bichette a little more. And, uh, you know, we're not pile on Bo Bichette, but Bo's had a bit of a scuffling start. Kevin's got some thoughts about that. I bet our next guest does as well. Bill Ripken, MLB Network Analyst, joins us. Don't go anywhere. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Great daily gambling advice from J.D., Blake, and Ailish in the Fan Morning Show's Wake and Rake. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I've got a couple of pairs of tickets to give away to upcoming Blue Jays games in the next hour. We will do so along with uh, chatting with Ryan Dempster, host of Off the Mound, and uh, Ricky Romero, former Blue Jays pitcher and host of the Let's Go Ricky Rowe podcast. That will be in the 11 o'clock hour. This is Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590 The Fan, wherever you get your favorite podcast Uh, we'll also be on the air tonight following the blue jays game with blue jays talk so uh if you're leaving the ballpark tonight stuck in traffic let mr barker drive you home you know mayor of back lake city yeah i'll take it you can drive people home the jays six five winners last night over the boston red sox rymel tapia walking it off with the sacrifice fly they're twelve and six. They've won six of seven. Things are, things have gone pretty well for this team, considering they don't have Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, considering Danny Jansen hasn't been in the lineup for a long time, and considering the fact that if you look around Major League Baseball, there's, it's it's pretty clear the game is sort of trying to find its footing after after the the lockout and the different spring training it, it's it's going to be so good when baseball has two normal years back to back where there's no pandemic no lockout you have a regular season you have playoffs you have an off season you have a regular spring training then you get back into a regular regular so that's going to be so good it, it's going to be good to get the game's natural rhythms back obviously the focus around major league baseball right now is on the lack of offense plenty of hypotheses put forth for that reason but I want to look especially Kevin Barker with our next guest I want to talk about Bo Bichette in particular and 
if you listen to the show, this ain't pile on Bo Bichette. You know that this this is a Bo Bichette friendly zone. Believe me, and hmm. uh, you know, we understand that you know a lot of hitters scuffle, and a lot of hitters are scuffling at this point of the year. But uh, Bo is always going to be an interesting case because he's such a. I mean, the spotlight naturally finds him. He's a terrific hitter. He's a popular player. It's people like seeing Bo Bichette being happy. So let's bring in uh, Bill Ripken, MLB Network analyst, to talk about Bo Bichette and uh, other things. Bill, thanks very much for joining us today. Trust you're doing well. Yeah, what's up, boys? You guys had a nice little win yesterday coming back like that. Yeah, fun. Well, it was great. Great, it's amazing when you get great starting pitching. How good your team looks, and then you got a superstar and and George Springer doing his thing. Bill, I got to be honest with you. When I when I heard you were coming on today, I was so pumped up because I remember watching your brother when I was growing up, and I just remember he tinkered some at the plate. And Jeff uh, started the show there about talking about Bo, and I've had conversations with Bo, and I've, I've talked to people around Bo about the tinkering. You know, when when do you start, and when do you know? it's time to start trying something new and you're the perfect guy to ask this because of your brother and the things that he went through offensively can you can you walk us through what the conversation was like with that you know Bose had 77 at bats he struck out 22 times I don't want to say that's alarming but that's a big number the 22 strikeouts and I'm just wondering when you think it would be time to maybe try a little something new well, I think in certain cases when a young player like Bo struggles, and look, he had success last year, and he's one of the better players in the game of baseball. Um, I, I think the old adage is they try to do too much, and I think that's very real sometimes. Now, as far as tinkering goes and, and my brother's concern, I think it's fair to say he played every day for a 1,000 years. <laughs> so there was an awful lot of times that I don't know if he was bored uh, and he had to do something different to try to generate something new. He was always big on moving his stance around to a degree to try to unlock something. And it was nothing more, if you talk to Cal, a stance is nothing more than a starting point. Um, what happens when you struggle, and Junior was in the same category, because he won an MVP in 1983, he was standing straight up. He won an MVP in 1991. He was in a crouch. But anytime he struggled, all the analysts would say, well, this is why he's struggling. Look how he's standing. No. When Junior struggled, he expanded off the plate in quite often. He would chase a two-seamer in, jam himself. Uh, I'd take him his glove out there in between innings. You know, if that was the third out, he would be horse cussing. And I'm going, well, he's done for his next at bat. Um, and then it becomes this domino effect. And Junior, when he was when he was right, he saw the ball well. And I think that still goes back to anything. And I think if you uh, would have conversations with my father, like me and my brother would have during our minor league struggles, and we call him and say, "Look, I'm struggling." Senior would keep it real simple. He'd say, "Okay, son, go up there and try to spin the pitcher's cap four times tonight." Go up there and try to hit the ball right back up the box four times and let your natural ability take over. If the ball's in, you're going to react to it. You'll pull it. If it's away, you're probably going to spin the pitcher's cap and hit it back up the middle. And Dad was very clear on simple things like that. See the ball and hit it, son. Junior would take it one step further because 
he felt like whenever he was in a certain stance, maybe he wasn't seeing the ball as well as he could, and he would try to do something a little bit different to maybe add the more focus on seeing the ball. So it's more it's more about what you were swinging at, what you're not swinging at, instead of your actual mechanics. Because you, you can pitch your bow swinging, especially when he has the leg kick. Now, the two-strike thing, he'll, because he's been struggling so much to start the season, he will go up 0-0 and use the two-strike approach with the little knee turn and, and just trying to, I think, drive down and through the baseball and not have the ball move so much. That, that for me, is... There's a fine line there because we've had Bo on. He's talked about last year that the leg kick just wasn't there most of the year. I just wonder when it would be, you know, hard for him to go, okay, maybe I need to adjust a little bit when it comes to the leg kick. Or do you think it's just too soon for that? Well, I think you can always do something in BP to try to figure something out. But once again, it's still the the idea of seeing the ball and hitting the ball and, and being very simple. And, look, he's got a lot of moving parts. I don't think there's any question about that. He's so gifted hand-eye coordination-wise that he can get away with things that probably other people can't do. He's built differently. But I think sometimes when you have that many moving parts, the timing part of things, and if you're worried about something, sometimes, yeah, you can just hunker down. And you can shorten up a little bit because, look, we've seen him go right center in, in a lot of different ballparks. It's not the fact that he can't go the opposite way. So maybe he just tells himself to slow down a little bit and you'll find this. He's going to gork one in somewhere. Hit a ball about three inches off his knuckles. It'll flare over the first baseman's head for a double because he can run. And he's going to get on second base, and there's going to be this big sigh of relief. And then everything will take off from there, I believe. You know, it's interesting hearing you talk about uh, about Cal, or Junior as you call him, which I love. Um, it's interesting hearing you talk about him because you're right. He, I mean, he played every day. He is the Iron Man, and one of the things we know about Bo, going back to spring training, Bo told Charlie Montoya, "I want to play as often as possible. I don't care where the bus ride is, when the game is. I need to play as much as possible. I need to be in the game as much as possible. I need to do as much as possible." Bo got up early. He was there before the sun got up, working out under the lights on his defense and everything, uh, which is all great and completely laudable and probably the, one of the reasons Bo is where he is right now. But, Bill, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if at some time, especially a young guy, you just kind of need to take a step back a bit and, and just, I don't know, decompress. Bad word, I know. Bad cliche. But take a step back and just kind of exhale. No, I think decompress is a pretty good word. And, look, there, there's a two ways to look at it, and I've seen my brother do both. One, he believed if he was struggling, the only way he was getting out of it was go up to home plate again. And Junior in his days, um, you know, a lot of people were naysayers on his streak and they said he was selfish because he just wanted to do that. I would say his numbers would have probably been better if maybe he did take a day off or two during that time because let's face it, if you're 0 for 16 and Nolan Ryan's on the bump the next day, there's a good chance you're 0 for 20. In, in a nice little run and junior would always take the opportunity to say, I'm challenging myself to go out there. Cause the only way I can get out of this is to, to play. I also saw junior at times when VP would happen and he was, he was, you know, feeling kind of uh, down or whatever it was. I've seen him stand an entire hour of BP against the left center field wall, leaning up against the wall, watching everything in front of him, and nobody went around him. 
He didn't take BP that day. He didn't go to the cage. He just went out there and kind of observed things from a different perspective. So I think there are two schools to that. The one thing I'm fearful of in today's game, um, there's so many people, there's so much media, there's so much social media, that if you take a day off, is it really a day off sitting on the bench or is somebody going to be sitting there in your ear for nine innings while you're trying to decompress and they're talking about everything under the sun about hitting and what you're doing and what you should try? Because to me, that's not a day off. And if a guy really wants a day off or if Charlie Montoya says, you know what, you take a day, I'm not pinch hitting you either. This one's your day. You chill out. You do what you want. Yes, of course, come to the ballpark, but maybe that's an approach too. But I'm fearful when people take days off that it's really not a day off because somebody's actually in their ear all game long and the mental grind then can take over. Billy, if you're if you're Charlie Montoya, the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, and you and you've won as many one run games as the as the Blue Jays have early in the season, would you be worried about that? Like, no, I, I like one-run games. I, I like teams that know how to do that. You know, the conversation swirled around the Seattle Mariners last year, and they said, well, they can't keep that up. Well, maybe you can. And I believe that your 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 pitchers do the job when they, they're asked to come in and do the game, but there's something about the offense like you saw last night. You know, that's a situation right there where the air got sucked out of the dome, um, you know, earlier – just right before that by the Boston Red Sox. But these guys just keep pecking away. So I love the fact that there's a confidence level. And I truly believe when you learn how to win one-run games or you win a few one-run games, you're in the dugout saying, how are we going to win this one? Instead of adversely, when you lose the games, you're sitting in the dugout going, how are we going to cough this one up? And I do believe there's something about mental vibe and positiveness that can go on and, and move a team forward. So I like teams that can win run-run games because that's telling me you're doing something right when you need to. Kevin Gossman has gotten off the terrific start with the Jays. 31 strikeouts, no walks. The first Jays pitcher to do that in his first four career starts. And, you know, Bill, we watch him pitch, and you listen to Kevin Gossman after the game, and you get the impression that, that pitched well, happy with it, but there's... Every game, there's something he could have done a little better. Last night, slider wasn't there to the degree you'd like it to be. Um, but a lot of focus is on his splitter. Now, he calls it a fosh. Uh, other people have used other words to describe it. Dennis Eckersley said last night it was nastiness from hell. It's basically an unhittable <laughs> pitch, and the numbers, the numbers show that it's, that it's, it's, it's an unhittable pitch. H- how do you as a hitter approach a guy when you know he's got a pitch that you can't hit, and if you do hit it, nothing good's going to happen. How, how do you? What What does your brain tell you as you walk to the plate? Well, when you watch Gosman right now, first of all, I can't imagine. I wouldn't even worry about that slider if he if he, if he was because the fastball change that he has, it's not the straight change as you mentioned. And however he grips it, sometimes you look a little bit Vulcan grip, uh, or the Fosh or the Boddicker Fosh from years ago with Baltimore where he would split his fingers in a couple different ways to throw his changeup. It's a specialty changeup, no doubt. And that thing was diving down. It was the beautiful difference between 10-mile-an-hour difference, I believe, from 96 to 86. And what that does, 96 to 86, if you equate that 60 feet 6 inches, it's roughly 6 feet of difference. 
So between the 96 getting to the front edge of the home plate, the 86 is about six feet further back towards the pitcher's mound. And when that thing comes out of his hand, as pure as it is, the hitter can't recognize it. It's like if you're a red light and cars are coming at you and you're going to make a left at the red light and the cars are coming at you. When they're coming directly at you, sometimes it's hard to tell the speed of the cars coming at you. But if you're off to a side or you have a little bit better vantage point, you can pick it up easier. So his perfect miles per hour split to me at 10 miles an hour, the fade action at the end of it. And I guess if you go back to it, you have to be really stubborn to, to if you're going to hit a changeup, and I'll talk about my brother again, he would actually look for the changeup. And he might face Kevin Gosman his first time up, and if Kevin Gosman threw him 396-mile-an-hour fastballs right down Broadway, Junior may turn around and walk right back to the dugout. Because sooner or later he's going to get the changeup, and the reason why he would sit on a pitch like that is because, one, he knows he's going to get one at some point in time in the bat. And you have to have conviction because that changeup, the way he throws it, if you're sitting dead red, you will swing early on that changeup like a lot of people did last night. And they were swinging over top of it because it was dying down. So I think there's one way to, to do it. Um, you know, there are gifted players that can react and adjust. But I know from, from playing with Junior and what he would do, if somebody had a specialty change like that, Junior says the only way I can hit it is actually look for it, convince myself it's coming, and then go from there. Billy, can you explain to me why Matt Chapman is such a great defender? Well, I think he's got a gift. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and I thought that, that was a great move when the Blue Jays pulled that one off. And I looked at it as a situation where Chapman could come over because out in Oakland, he was viewed as being having to be the man, right? He, him and Olsen were kind of on the corners, and a lot was looked upon upon them. And I think when he came to Toronto, and I think he's going to have a big year for you guys up there, I think they can slot him down in that six spot, that seven spot maybe, let the boys all play in front of him. You know he's going to play every day, and you know he's going to catch the ball and throw the ball where he's supposed to. And then the added um, offense that he's going to give you because he's certainly capable. He's had a couple of rough years out there in Oakland, but I really think him coming over here and not having that pressure of being the man, just being one guy to go out there and play me some really good third base every single night, I think it's going to be a really good move for the Blue Jays, and I think he's going to have a big year offensively. Bill, listen, it was really good of you to join us today. Thanks so much. Terrific insight as always, my friend. Be well. Thank you. You got it, boys. Good luck to Take you. Take care. Thanks, man. That is Bill Ripken, MLB Network. I love hearing him refer to Cal Ripken Jr. as Jr. because everybody else always called Cal Cal just because he's Cal Ripken, <laughs> you know. Um, it's, it's terrific insight, to li- though. It's it's intriguing to listen to him talk about when Cal struggled, and and I I just I was thinking about that when I when I found out Billy was gonna was coming on, and I and I could remember growing up and seeing Cal even in, <clears throat> excuse me even in the All Star game, mm-hmm. making weird stances at the plate just because of whoever's pitching on the mound and what he's looking for and what he's trying to do where he wants the baseball to go, and I started thinking about Bo and that big giant leg kick and all the things that go on to get him in an athletic position, I, it's. It's 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 going to be an intriguing thing to see how long Bo will go, because he's getting to where he takes swings, he thinks balls that he should hit hard. He's shaking his head a lot. 
I can remember most hitters that you watch, you see them shaking their head a lot at the plate. They are thinking that whatever they're doing in the cage is not translating. How long is he going to go until he's thinking to himself, okay, maybe I don't want to say I'm eliminating that, but I'm going to have to adjust it a little. I'm going to have to do some things. I'm going to have to maybe uh, refine my, my approach at the plate, not guess as much. He does guess some. He's got a little cow in him where he's going to hunt it. He's gonna, you're going to see him take some pitches. He's, he's very aggressive. He thinks he's got more plate coverage than anybody in baseball. I'm, just, I'm intrigued by, by who he is as a hitter and what he's going to look like all-star break what he'll look like at the end of the season it it intrigues me I can't wait to see it yeah I'm with you I find him he's just a fascinating case study because of the background because of the almost instant success he had up here because even though it it, it almost seems as if we've seen Bo grow up in front of us I, I, I don't think any of us think he's had his best year yet Hey, you know, you talk to Charlie Montoyo. Charlie Montoyo says he can see him winning a batting title. Other people say he's never going to walk enough. I, I, I just, I don't know what he's going to turn. It's going to be great. Whatever it is, it's going to be great. And, you know, knock on wood that he has a long career because he is, you know, with all due respect to George Springer and Vladdy, Bo is, there's an electricity about him. When he is going well, he elevates everything around him. He just does. And whether it's the look, whatever, the flow, I know we, we joke about it. He is a he is a player that just electrifies you. And I'm with you. I it's 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 good that they're winning because we're going to see something from Bo Bichette. And I'll tell you, people talk about you know batting average not mattering not matting mad not making a difference. And really not mattering that much anymore. But and when you're Bo Bichette and you look up and it's the end of the month and you're hitting 205, it gets to a point where it's not that easy to go from 205 to 300. As the at-bats pile up, it, it, it gets to a point where you really got to go in a heater to get that average up to where you want it to be. Uh, but, you know, again, this is a guy that plays every day. And you know, further to our point, if you're Charlie, you can't you can't give Bo a day off without Teoscar in the lineup right now. I mean, you just can't. Even if you want to, you can't give him a day off. I don't think without Teoscar in the lineup. You you know what's tough for me is he kicks his leg. He kicks his leg to almost above his belt. When he lands, Jeff, his front foot is almost facing the shortstop. He wants to clear his hips, drop the back elbow, get the barrel in the hitting zone to repeat that. Be on time all the time. It's virtually impossible, and you're starting to see it churn between the years. So it intrigues me. I can't wait to see what it what it turns out to be. We got tickets to give away in the next hour. We've got pitchers in the next hour. We're going to talk about balls in the next hour. I'm just going to leave it at that. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and wherever you get your favorite podcast.